we appreciate so much your hospitality and your kindness to us, and we certainly have enjoyed our time here. And is Caleb asleep yet? Okay, so if he goes to sleep, it's not my fault. He's not feeling well. And uh, I do regularly put him to sleep, though, in the preaching time, so (laughs) I'm used to it. You could turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 17 tonight. And while you're turning there, um, I'll just say something to you. I I had mentioned, I think, last night about our teenagers being over in Africa here just a couple weeks ago and doing some outreach, and God really challenged them and uh, changed a lot of their perspective about outreach, and we're thankful for that. And in the midst of that, um, got a number of contacts to follow up on, and today my brother George and one of the men that he has worked with for probably now 10, 11 years and has been discipling Brother David, they went together to this new village, which is nearby to the village where George has been working for a number of years. And they had a meeting with about a dozen people who showed up today with some interest in studying the scriptures, and uh, in particular, a man who is interested, and he said, my family needs a church. He's got a wife and two children, and we need a church to go to where the Bible will be taught. And so they're very excited about that. Uh, There's some others that they contacted by phone today that were very uh, encouraging in their response as well. And, And just to give you an idea, that is such a hard area. In Africa, it's easy to get an initial response from people uh, pretty much across the continent, except in Northern Africa. Northern Africa is a little different because there's a lot of Islam there. But, uh, you know, getting people who will stick with it and keep coming is a, a different thing. And the particular area where George has been laboring now for a number of years is a very demonic area. There's a, It's ruled by demon spirits, and there there is a, a, a rain queen that they call her that they worship there. There's a lot of of uh, demonic practices and worship of devils and things like that. And so it's a very, very difficult place. And yet God has given them a small group of people in the village of Nkoa, and they're trusting that God is opening a door in this neighboring village as well. So they're excited about that. I thought I would share that report with you. Uh, That just happened today, and we're excited always when those kind of things happen in the work of the ministry. Um, Tonight we want to look at Acts chapter 17, And I want to read the first nine verses of Acts chapter 17. I want to speak to you for a little bit this evening about turning the world upside down. And here, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, is the account of how the Apostle Paul came to the city of Thessalonica. If you know much about the city of Thessalonica and what happened there as Paul came, then you're aware that when Paul came and preached the gospel there in that place, there was a miraculous event that took place. A number of people got saved. A church was established in a very short period of time, kind of like we would love to see all the time when we go to do a church planting. We'd like it to be quick like that. In this case, it was quick, and they had a dramatic testimony. God did an amazing thing in those Thessalonican believers to the extent that later when Paul wrote to them, he spoke about how their faith was spoken of throughout the world And it was such a remarkable thing that God had done. And as we think about what God did there in Thessalonica, and of course later Paul would be cast out of the city and uh, he would be run out of town and 
He left some of his fellow laborers there to continue discipling those believers and strengthening them. Later, he would write two epistles to the church at Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage them, and particularly to address some things, some misunderstandings concerning the last days that had taken over their minds. But as we think about what happened there in the city of Thessalonica, and here it's really described for us in these verses, we're reminded that when Paul was put out of town, here's what they said about him, and here's why they said he needed to be put out of town. It's there in your Bible in verse number 6. They cried out, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. And, you know, they were speaking in a negative sense. They've really, they've really dramatically changed the world. They've turned the world upside down. But, you know, I think that's kind of a compliment. When the world regards God's people as having turned the world upside down, that, that ought to be something that we seek after. And, and here's something that I want you to understand tonight, is that I don't believe that it is God's will for us just to exist and barely make it through life and go to heaven and say, I made it. I really think that God's design and his plan for every one of his children is that we would be world-changing Christians. That we would be believers who, because the power of God is present in our lives, would have a dramatic effect on the world around us so that people's lives would be touched and transformed by the power of the gospel. I really believe that is what God wants to do with each and every one of us, and I'm afraid that many of us are settling for a lot less than that. But I do believe that God wants to do that in our lives. Here in Acts 17, let's look in verse 1. We'll read down through the end of verse 9, and in particular, our text tonight is going to come from the first four verses. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. They troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard those things, And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And we asked the question tonight, what was it that Paul and those in his company did that caused the people of the city, and in particular the Jews who were following Paul trying to cause trouble, what was it that caused them to say, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also? What was it that troubled the world about the Apostle Paul. And I I do want to point this out to you, that as believers, there ought to be an aspect of our walk with God that troubles the world around us, that causes them to say, I I don't like what they stand for. Now, they might 
like your character. They might appreciate your work ethic. But if you're really being a witness to them, there's going to be some things that the world says they're, they're not going to like. In fact, the Lord Jesus said that uh, persecution is something. Blessed are they who are persecuted, Jesus said. The Apostle Paul said that all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so we know that persecution is a reality. We shouldn't be trying to be a friend of the world. But here, the Apostle Paul ends up turning the world upside down. There was a dramatic uh, change and effect on the world around him. And, And when I read that, I asked myself the question, what did Paul do that caused that effect? And I think there's four things that are seen right here in the first four verses of Acts chapter 17 that remind us what Paul did. And I'm going to tell you that's what the same things he did are what we can do. The first thing that really stands out to me is Paul's passion. Paul was passionate. He was passionate about the job that God had given him to do. What we find about Paul, and and it's interesting if you understand the context here in Acts chapter 17, this is that time in Paul's ministry where he literally can't seem to get away from the people who hate him. Everywhere he turns, they are right behind him. But what we find about Paul is he's still preaching the gospel. I mean, we could actually have excused him if he had gone into Thessalonica and just laid low and just said, I'm going to be quiet here for a while. I'm going to catch my breath. I'm not going to say much about the gospel because there are some people that don't like what I'm doing. I need to to just reconsider a little bit, and I need to plan, and I need to... Uh, make sure that I'm doing the right thing. We, we could excuse him for doing that, and we would be tempted to do that. But what we find about Paul was he got to Thessalonica, and the very first thing he did was find a place to preach. He was passionate about preaching the gospel. You know, it doesn't take you long to find out what somebody is passionate about. You get around somebody who likes fishing, And it takes about three nanoseconds for them to start talking about fishing. You get around somebody who likes hunting, and it doesn't take long till they start talking about hunting. Up in our area, you know, there's a lot of people who are diehard Eagles fans, Philadelphia Eagles fans. And you get around them, and you know that they're Eagles fans. They've got the the banners, and they've got the hats, and they've got the bumper stickers. And, they I mean, these people get crazy about about a sports team. You see, when somebody is passionate about something, you know that they're passionate about it. What was it that the Apostle Paul was passionate about? It was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was passionate about the good news of what Jesus had done in his life and what Jesus could do in other people's lives. You know, to Paul, preaching the gospel was not just a job he did. He didn't clock in and clock out. He wasn't on 9 to 5. He was busy all the time preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think he had just come from, Thess- uh, not from Thessalonica, he had just come from Philippi to Thessalonica, and it was in Philippi where he had been beaten, he had been thrown in prison, and he had suffered much trouble, and now he comes to Thessalonica, and you think, Paul, just keep your mouth shut for a little while. Don't say anything. I mean, go easy at it and be quiet and and get the lay of the land. That's not how Paul did it, though. He came to town. He said, I'm here, and I have a purpose, and I'm going to preach the gospel. He was passionate about the preaching of the gospel. Think about this with me for just a moment. 
What would it do for the cause of Christ if we became as passionate about sharing the gospel as we are about, say, politics? As we are about our favorite sports team? As we are about our most enjoyable pastime? What if we became as passionate about sharing the gospel as we are about some other things? And really, you could ask yourself this question, and I uh, certainly wouldn't want you to answer this publicly, but you might ask yourself the question, am I passionate about sharing the gospel? I'm really glad we have some folks in our church back home who are really passionate about sharing the gospel. And it's incredible to me what God is doing in and through their life and some of the testimonies that they share about the things that they do and really some of the risks that they take in sharing the gospel. Risks, you understand what I mean? You know, in in the world in which we live, if you're on the job and sharing the gospel with people, you're you're putting yourself out there. There's, uh, There's some danger that you could get in trouble in the corporate world and Boy, I tell you, I've got some men, I really admire their courage because they're, they're witnessing to co-workers, they're talking to people, they're on the job as they have opportunity, they're doing the best job that they can, but they're also preaching the gospel because they're passionate about it. They're looking for opportunities to preach the gospel. Here, not too long ago, we uh, had a young couple in our church got married, and at, after the wedding, there was a big reception, and we were there, and, and as I'm walking around, at the reception, you know, both of these young people were from our church, and there were some unsafe family and friends who were there. And I started looking around, and different people in our church had, had people off to the side, and they were talking, and I'd come by to hear what they were talking about, and they're talking to them about the gospel, and they're witnessing to somebody about the gospel over here, and this one's offering a Bible study, and I'm saying, praise the Lord, that's what it's all about. We need to be passionate about preaching the gospel to the world that is around us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse number 10, you might be familiar with this verse. The Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. If, if you find something to do, then do it with all your might. And, and I believe we ought to apply that to the, to the proclamation of the gospel. We ought to really work at being passionate about proclaiming the gospel to the people around us. You know, when we're, when we're passionate about preaching the gospel, when we're passionate about sharing the gospel with others, then we're going to get creative at how to introduce the gospel to people. And, and we're going to be looking for opportunities to find, to share the gospel with people. We, we have a man in our church, he's, uh, he's always looking for opportunities to share the gospel and uh, he's a business owner, and God gives him many great opportunities in his business to share the gospel with people that he talks to, clients that he deals with. He's telling me a story one time several years ago. He said he's fascinated with how people dress and things that they do. And uh, he, w- he went into a bookstore, and this girl had a tattoo. Tattoos are, of course, very popular in this day and age, and and, uh, you know, people put them all over themselves. And this girl had a tattoo of a guillotine on her arm. You know what a guillotine is? In France, they used it to cut everybody's head off. And so he's, he's kind of bold and uh, forthright. And he looked at that, and he said to her, Excuse me, is, is that a, a guillotine tattoo? Yes, it is. And he said, 
You know, why do you have that? And she went into some detail talking about why she wanted somebody to draw a permanent picture of a guillotine on her arm and what that meant to her. And you know what? He turned that into an opportunity to share the gospel with her. And, and he, he jumped off of what she said, and it was, as I recall, some kind of a fascination with death. And then he began to talk to her about, well, are you ready to die? And have you ever heard what Jesus Christ has done for you? And he shared the gospel with her. You know, I really admire people who are passionate enough in their daily life to look for opportunities to introduce the gospel. Because God is working in people's lives, and there are open doors of conversation. But I'm going to tell you that we really have to be paying attention, and we have to be passionate about sharing the gospel. Turn in your Bibles. Hold your place here in the book of Acts. And turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 and verse number 4. These are the words of Jesus. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. You know, one thing that we observe about the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry is... He was always on call. There was never a time when Jesus was not paying attention to what was going on around him. And we we find him in the most, um, we would say, normal, average circumstances, finding opportunities to minister to people and then to share the gospel of the kingdom of God with them. And that is because Jesus was driven by this thought, I must work the works of him that sent me. The night is coming. There's a time coming when we will not any longer be able to share the gospel. read a book some years ago. We shared it with our church family. The title of it is, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. One thing you can't do in heaven. What is that? You can't share the gospel with people in heaven. And Now, I think we'll still be talking about the gospel, but everybody who's in heaven is going to be staying in heaven. Uh, there's not going to be an opportunity to reach people once you get to heaven. You have an opportunity right now to share the gospel with your friends and family. You have an opportunity right now to to speak the gospel to those who are around you. We found out just tonight, just before supper, one of our neighbors went out into eternity this last week. And he he was a nice man, a kind man, but as far as I know, he did not know Christ. He was not interested in the gospel. He was a lifelong Lutheran. And uh, he never attended our church or anything like that. We would converse sometimes when he would walk his dog over our way. But I thought, what a, what a sad thing. He went out into eternity. His chance is gone. My chance to talk with him again about his soul is gone. There'll be no more opportunity for that. You see, there's a time coming when we can't work. So we have to be passionate about the work that God has called us to do. It's important for us to make sure that our passion is well-placed. Do you remember the story about how King Joash of Israel was... Elisha the prophet was talking to him, and he said to King Joash, take your arrows and strike them on the ground. And as he was striking those arrows on the ground, that was going to symbolize how he was going to overcome the king of Syria who was coming against him. And you remember in that story how King Joash took those arrows and he hit the ground three times and then he stopped and Elisha rebuked him because Elisha said you should have struck the ground five or six times if you had done that God would have given you the full victory 
But as it is, you're only going to have a partial victory, and then you're going to lose to the Syrians. You look it up sometime when you get the chance. You know what that shows about King Joash? It shows he was not passionate about victory. Elisha said, you can have the victory if you'll just follow through, if you'll be obedient to God. And here's how Joash felt about that. Well, you know, it's okay. I don't, I don't need that much victory. Do you know that's how a lot of people live their Christian life? That's how a lot of people act about the things of God. God wants us to be passionate about these things. You know, the things that are talked about in this book are eternal things. They really matter. Uh, they really make a difference in people's lives. And so you and I ought to be passionate about the gospel. We find there in Acts chapter 17, I think you can agree with me that Paul was a passionate preacher. But there's a second thing that I find in Acts chapter 17. Not only do we see his passion, but going right along with that, we see that Paul was very persistent. He was very persistent. And the phrase that tells us about his persistence is found in verse number 2 where it says, and Paul, as his manner was. That phrase, as his manner was, tells us that he had a habit or he had a pattern. Did you ever pay attention much to your habits, the things that you do without thinking? There's probably things that you do. There's things I do when I get up in the morning. We just got a puppy a couple weeks ago. Threw all my patterns out the window. Because I was, you know, I had certain patterns. When I get up in the morning, I go downstairs, I, I turn on the coffee machine, and after a bit, once it gets hot enough, I make myself a cup of coffee, and I get my Bible, and I sit down, and I do some reading, and then after a while, I might look at the news and, and uh, check some things out. You know, I kind of relax to get started. I get up early in the morning, and we got this puppy. Now when I get up, I got to get my clothes on because it's freezing cold outside still. And then I got to put my coat on and I got to go get this puppy because he's got to go to the bathroom first thing in the morning, you know, take this puppy outside, let him go to the bathroom, stand out there in the cold, let him go. And, and then I'm thinking, we got this puppy. He threw my patterns all out. See, you have, you have habits. And when we get our habits interrupted, it makes us cranky. I'm not saying that I got cranky about it. But did you ever think about this? Paul had developed a habit of sharing the gospel. It was so normal for him that it was just the first thing that he thought about whenever he had an opening, whenever he had an opportunity, as his manner was, his habit, his custom was, when he got to a new town, he looked around and said, where's the best place to preach the gospel here? Where's the best place for me to share the gospel with people? Now, I remind you again, Paul was coming from Philippi. He had just been persecuted in a heinous way. He had just been persecuted in a severe way in Philippi. He had been beaten, he and Silas, and thrown in prison. Of course, we know the jailer got saved, and we know that God allowed a church to be established there, and we know that it was all worth it. But we don't find Paul coming to Thessalonica and saying, maybe, maybe I should just slack off a little bit. You see, he's persistent. He's made a habit out of sharing the gospel. By the way, how do you make something a habit? By doing it over and over and over again until you do it without really even thinking about it. It becomes so much a part of 
who you are that you can just do it without thinking. I saw one of the young men tying his tie when we were walking in the church building tonight. And my sons find it very, and, and now they can tie their tie a lot easier. But when they first started tying their tie, they said, Papa, can you teach us how to tie the tie? You know the problem with that? I don't think about tying my tie. When I'm tying my tie, I just tie it. And then they want me to teach them how to, okay, how do I do that then? And then when you start to think about it, you can't really remember. And, and now, now which way did my hand go? So I almost have to forget that I'm trying to remember so that I can show them how to do it. Or usually how it works out is I say, now you stand there and I'll come behind you and I'll tie the tie like it's my own. Then I can remember because that muscle memory, right? Your habits. How many of us can say, I have a habit of sharing the gospel? I have a habit. I am persistent in sharing the gospel with others. Do you know that our calling is no different than the calling of the Apostle Paul? God has called us to be persistent in the work of preaching the gospel. I think some of us find that we get easily discouraged in sharing the gospel, don't we? It's not always easy. And it's tempting to say, not that many people are responding. I mean, I'm just not getting that many people uh, who, are, who are interested in not getting that many good conversations. I'm not having many good opportunities. But you know what God says? Just keep on. Just keep on. He, he doesn't say, share the gospel as long as everybody's excited about hearing it. He says, in season and out of season, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to those who need to hear. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, just keep on keeping on. I was sharing with your pastor at breakfast this morning, just here in the last couple of weeks, God worked in such a way as to bring a man back across my path And I didn't know him before, but nearly 40 years ago, he attended our church as a little boy. And he made a profession of faith, and his dad and stepmom were members of our church at that time. And then after a couple years, this was before I even lived there, he got into just some difficulties in his relationship, and he ran away from home as a teenager and had a lot of problems in his relationship with his dad, and then got into all kinds of sin, and his dad and stepmom moved away to a different state. And and now, it's almost 40 years later, and he wrote an email the other day through our church website, and he said, I need some help. I need to talk to somebody because I'm really concerned that I'm not saved, and I'm concerned that I'm not ready to meet the Lord. Could somebody sit down and talk to me about some spiritual things? Sure. We'll do that, no problem. Before uh, we left on Wednesday of last week, come, starting to come down this way on Tuesday night before we, before we left, I had a first Bible study with him, and God's at work in his life. But you know why that is? It's because for now, over 40 years, Lehigh Valley Baptist Church has been there in that place, preaching the gospel. There's some folks who've been there all that time. I wasn't there all that time. 
But there's some other folks who've been there all that time. There's been some people who've been evangelizing. This same man did a Bible study. He started a Bible study with one of our other men about 20 years ago, and then he never finished it. He got under conviction about his sin, and he walked away. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about that. Here he started the Bible study. You might think, man, God's done with him. But now, 20 years later, God's working in his life again. See, God is good like that. But we have to be faithful. We have to keep on preaching the word. We have to keep on saying the same things and keep on uh, proclaiming the same truth. We, we have to be steadfast and unmovable. We have to say, okay, God is the one who gives the increase, but I'm going to keep on being persistent in sharing the gospel. I think you and I really need some bulldog tenacity to keep on keeping on in the work of the Lord when it starts getting rough. There are disappointing days. There are discouragements. There are things that cause us to say, I don't know if I should keep going on, but God wants us to keep going on. You know, the season is just short before we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. There's not much time left that we have, and so we must continue to be persistent. You say, well, I'm not seeing the results that I want to see. Uh, Maybe if we just uh, tried to do some other way, maybe if we made it more exciting, maybe if we did more promotions, I I don't think that's the answer. I think we need to just keep on keeping on in the work of the Lord. The Apostle Paul is such an inspiration in that he was very persistent even in difficult times. He was passionate and he was persistent and that allowed him to be used of God to turn the world upside down. But there's a third thing about Paul that I really admire in Acts chapter 17 and I believe it helped him to be described as one who turned the world upside down and that was his perception. His perception. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, look there in in verse number 2. It says, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Where did he go in unto them? Well, in the previous verse, it says there was a synagogue of the Jews. So the, the custom or the habit of the apostle Paul was that he would come into a town, and you know he had kind of a special opportunity. What was that special opportunity? Well, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had been trained by Gamaliel, who was one of the most well-known rabbis of his day. And now he's far from Jerusalem, but he can come into a city like Thessalonica, and there's a synagogue And as a man with that background, he can go right into the synagogue and say, I was trained under Gamil, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and I would like to address the folks who are here. And they would allow him then to take the Old Testament scriptures, and he could say whatever he wanted to say to the people who were assembled there. And what we find is that Paul did that over and over and over again. And you might say, why did he do that? Because God had given him a special opportunity in his background to be able to go into a strange place and say to a whole bunch of new people, here's the truth about the Messiah. Here's the truth about somebody that you've been looking for and you just don't know that he's come. So what we see is that Paul had the perception to find people who were hungry to hear. Now, in that synagogue, inevitably, and this is, this is really played out all through the book of Acts, Paul would always find that there were some who were interested, 
and some who were intrigued by what he taught. There, of course, would be those who rejected what he said or who were very skeptical. And, of course, it didn't usually take long till some persecution came about that because of that. But Paul had the perception to know that in the synagogue, there were some people who really wanted to worship God, but they had not yet heard of Jesus Christ. And so before anything else, Paul said, I want to get there, and I want to tell those people that Jesus Christ has come. You see what that is? That's perception. That's the wisdom to know that there are some people who are seeking God and where to find them. Now, I want to ask you this question tonight. Where would you look to find people who are hungry to hear the gospel? Where would you go expecting to find people who are interested in talking about spiritual things? What kind of a place might you go to look for that person? And I think you know, and your pastor certainly knows, we practice and we are all about going house to house in our neighborhoods, knocking on doors and talking to people face to face. However, that may not be the best way to find interested people. You might have to go through a whole lot of people before you find somebody that's interested. I'm not suggesting that you stop doing that, by the way. I, I will point out to you that that is becoming more and more difficult in our world uh, for, for different reasons. Um, I mentioned to you that we have an outreach in downtown Allentown, about 10 miles from where our church is. And we actually don't go door to door in downtown Allentown. We go porch to porch. There's a reason for that. Because in the downtown area of Allentown, somebody comes knocking on a door, they're usually serving a warrant. Or they're looking for payment for some services that they've rendered. And people in the downtown area are not really keen on answering their door. So we don't typically go door to door. You say, what do you do? Well, it's a little different down there in the nicer weather. As soon as it's warm enough, everybody's going to be sitting out on their front porch. Or they're going to be in the park. So what we literally do is we walk down the street and we look for people who are out on the porch. And we come up to the porch and we engage them in conversation. Because being on the porch, they're open for conversation. It's a lot different. You know, if you, if you did that in the, in the average suburban neighborhoods around here, people would be like, what are you doing? Why are you approaching me on my porch? This is my safe zone. In that area, man, if they're out on their porch, they want to talk. That's what they're looking for. So we're, we're going out looking for people who want to talk. We're, we're going to go knock on their doors. Um, maybe like it is around here, a lot of our neighborhoods are getting to where they just close the whole neighborhood to access. They say nobody's allowed in here. They have security. And if you go in and you start knocking on doors, they'll be on you just like that. This is, this is private property. You're not allowed here. Get out. We're not going to let you knock on those doors. What are we going to do? You know what? We're going to have to get wise about how to find people who have a spiritual interest. Now, let me back up for just a moment, and let me ask you this question. Do you believe that there are still people who have spiritual interests today, who are interested and in seeking God? I believe that. I believe that there are people in whose hearts God is working. And I also believe this, that God is in the business of crossing our paths with those people. I believe that because God has called us to proclaim the gospel to people, he really wants us to find those people who are seeking him. I believe that God will move heaven and earth to bring two people together so that somebody can hear the gospel. 
So here's a prayer that I encourage our church people to pray. God, would you lead me to someone who is seeking you today? Would you show me someone who, who needs some answers to their, their heart questions, their spiritual questions? God, would you direct me because there's got to be some people in whose lives you are working. You know, in the book of Acts chapter 8, God took Philip from the middle of a revival in Samaria and took him out into the middle of the desert to find a man who was in a chariot. For what reason? That man was seeking God. And God connected Philip with him so he could share with him about Jesus Christ. And that Ethiopian unit got saved. Then he got scripturally baptized. And I believe he went back to his country and he told a whole bunch of people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe God did a great work through him. You see, there are people who are seeking, but we've got to have the perception to find them. Uh, we've got to have the interest. We've got to be asking ourselves, where, where might I find people who are asking questions about the Lord? You, you might find them in some interesting places. You know, one thing that, that we observe is that there are a number of people who describe themselves today as spiritual. They're, they're not interested in organized religion, per se. If you invited them to church, they would probably say, I'm not all that interested in that. But if you asked them, are you a spiritual person? They would say, yes. And then when you start probing a little bit, you start to find out that they're spiritual. Well, the reason they are is because God made us that way. So we already know we have a little bit of a uh, pre-knowledge about that, right? That, that they're going to have a, a little bit of spiritual interest. And some people, they'll just say, oh, I'm not interested. But there's other people. And, and then you start talking to them about, well, what is your spiritual interest? What is it that you're interested in? And, and it's interesting to hear what people have to say. But see, we have to have the perception and the faith that God is working to be looking for these people who are around us. But then when he found them, it says in verse number 3, here was, his, here was his strategy opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So what did Paul do? Well, as it describes in verse number 3, once he found some people who had a spiritual interest, he had a systematic approach whereby he laid out a logical argument which appealed to their particular worldview. They were Jewish people who were looking for the Messiah, who were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. Therefore, Paul opened the Old Testament scriptures and he proved to them from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah, the Christ, must needs have suffered, it says, and risen again from the dead. So he went to the Old Testament. He said, look, look at what the Old Testament says about the Messiah suffering. Look what the Old Testament says about him rising again from the dead. And oh, by the way, I know somebody who fits this description. His name is Jesus Christ, and he has already come. And he told them about Jesus. Now, what's fascinating about that is that Paul used a very logical, measured approach addressing the worldview of the people that he was talking to. Later in the book of Acts chapter 17, he is in the city of Athens. He is dealing with a completely different group of people, and he approaches it in a slightly different way. The message does not change, but he addresses their worldview. 
In particular, in the city of Athens, they were intrigued with the concept of the resurrection from the dead. And so the Apostle Paul began to deal with them about the resurrection from the dead, and then he spoke to them about Christ who rose from the dead, and he presented the claims of Christ. Now what's interesting is that Paul had the perception to put together a logical argument, a systematic argument which would appeal to the worldview of the people that he was talking to. Now I say this because I believe that as God's people, we need to have the understanding that different people that we talk to are going to have different hang-ups concerning the gospel. Again, I was, we were talking at breakfast this morning, and, and we've observed that, for instance, our basic Bible truths, our foundations Bible study, which I think you folks are somewhat familiar with and have used here, and we use that almost exclusively in our outreach. When we go to the door and talk to people, we're often inviting them to do a Bible study with us. And and that Bible study is wonderful, and it works really well with most people, but there are some people that it doesn't work well with. And, And the reason that it doesn't is because they don't have enough scriptural background to be able to start with that lesson one. Because lesson one takes some things for granted that they may not really be on that page yet. And so there, we may need to adjust our approach. We may need to back up and deal with some things from their worldview which are hang-ups for them. Uh, we find that one place where there's a lot of interest that people have is in this area of who, you know, how did all this come to be, this world? And you know the average person is taught in the school system that it all came about by chance and random processes. You know what I'm shocked by? is how many people tell me that they believe that God created the world. When you ask them, they say, and I'm not talking about you know Christians in the Bible Belt. I'm talking about people from all walks of life. I've had people who were, who were from other religions, you know, like different from us. And they said, oh, God created it all. That was interesting to me. So they were saying, well, I don't believe in evolution. But then, you know, there are a lot of people who have a hang-up in that area. They can't even get past Genesis chapter 1 because they they believe in random chance and process. And I'm not saying you have to train yourself as a scientist, but you might want to know a few things about that to be able to say to them, you know, there's a way that God is described in the Bible, and you need to accept what the Bible says about him. We're going to have to deal with some basic things about his character and what he is like. So you understand what I'm saying. If we're going to turn the world upside down, we're going to have to be... Uh, perceptive enough to understand that different people have different hang-ups with the gospel. And, and you say, well, how do, we, how do we deal with that? Well, ultimately, we deal with that by preparing ourselves to effectively present the gospel. That's why 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us that we must study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because if you're out sharing the gospel with people, inevitably you're going to get asked some kind of an off-the-wall question. Now, don't convince yourself that you have to have all the answers to all the questions before you can share the gospel because you never will share the gospel. In fact, you know what I've found is that one of the greatest motivators to Christian growth and particularly to growth in understanding of the scriptures is evangelism. 
Because you get out there and you start talking to people and they start asking you questions that you never heard before. And you have to go and get your Bible out and maybe go find your pastor and say, I ran into a weird one this last week. I need your help. we got to find out what the answer is to this because for your own curiosity, you need to know what that is. And then you want to go back and tell that person, I found an answer to your question. But see, if we just sit around together and talk with each other, we're not really raising the same questions that the people out there are raising. You know what I'm saying? The people out there are asking different questions than we are asking. In here, we all know what the answers are to the questions that we've considered, and we all say, amen, hallelujah, wonderful. You get out there and start, start talking to people, and they start asking some hard questions. You know one of the most common questions I get asked? Why would a good God allow such horrible things to happen in the world? Usually it's somebody who's hurting. It's someone who has had some terrible tragedy in their life, and, and they're just grappling with this. If God is so good, like supposedly the Bible teaches, then why would God allow this horrible thing to happen to me? And, and why would he treat me in this way? And you know what it is? They have a, a basic misunderstanding of the character of God. There's, a lot, there's some things they don't understand, but you're going to have to be prepared to answer some of those questions. And the way to do that is to study. We're going to have to be perceptive. We're also going to have to be perceptive enough to know that not everybody who feigns interest or shows some, some interest in the scriptures is going to be a long-standing disciple. Jesus experienced that, didn't he? In his ministry, many, many people started to follow him and then walked away. And so we're going to have to have the perception to know that sometimes people are going to show interest and then they're going to fall off. Did you ever have somebody that you were working with and, I mean, they just, they were going along and everything was going great and maybe they even made a profession of faith and you thought, man, this is great, they got it. And then they just fell off the face of the earth, disappeared, didn't want to talk to you anymore, weren't interested anymore and you thought, what in the world happened? You know, we have to have the perception that sometimes people are going to respond that way to the gospel but we have to continue to be persistent. So Paul exercised some perception. He had some wisdom in how he dealt with people. I want to encourage you, Lighthouse Baptist Church, to think about your area, to think about the people who live here, to think about what are the hang-ups that people have with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But what is it that is preventing people from coming to the knowledge of the truth and how could I prepare myself to address those things, to help people to come past those, those obstructions to the truth in their mind so that they can reconcile in their mind, okay, the Bible is true and salvation is true, so that they can come to that place of repentance and faith. Now, I'm not suggesting uh, tonight that it's all dependent on your arguments, but I do want to point out to you that the Apostle Paul says that we persuade men. That means that we put together arguments to explain that what we believe is reasonable and to point them to the Scripture. We do understand that it's not won by human reason and logic, but human reason and logic is a part of presenting the gospel because God uses us as instruments. We do realize the Holy Spirit has to be working as well, but He wants to work through us. You can't study the life of Paul without coming away and saying, there was a man who understood something about the laws of logic. He understood something about 
a cogent argument being put together in a powerful way to compel people to see there is something to believe. Now, does that mean everybody believed? No. We know like King Agrippa, I mean, he got so close that he was trembling. And and Paul wanted him to be saved, and he put together a strong argument. But Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And so we realize that not everybody's going to trust Christ, but we do want to have the perception to give them more than just a simplistic presentation of the gospel. We want to challenge their thinking. We want to leave them with something to chew on, something to think about. We want them to go away from that conversation with that going through their mind. By the way, I think one one thing that is good to leave in people's mind is a verse of Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit uses God's Word. And if you can lodge the Word of God in their mind and get them thinking about that, you never know what God will do with that person. All right, so we have this this thought that Paul was passionate, that Paul was persistent, and that Paul had perception. He exercised perception in how he was preaching, how he was presenting the gospel. But you know the fourth thing that allowed Paul to be used to turn the world upside down was preaching. Was preaching. All of this, passion, persistence, perception, it was all so that he might preach the gospel. So that he might declare. The Bible says in verse number 2, three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. You see, Paul was not just putting forward some arguments from his mind, but he was reasoning with them out of the word of God. He was taking the Old Testament scriptures and he was applying it to those people and he was reasoning with them and giving them a reason to have faith in Christ. Listen to me very carefully. You will not change the world with your ideas. There is no greater idea that we can share with the world than the idea that has originated with God regarding the gospel. You will not come up with a better message than the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. You will not come up with a better message than that men must repent and believe the gospel. You you can, you know, all the self-help and and all joking aside, you, you can't go out there with a Joel Osteen message and expect to change the world. That stuff is not going to help people. That leaves people hopeless. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, I'm afraid that for many people, the extent of their evangelism is saying to someone else, would you come to church with me? And, and I'm not against inviting people to our churches, but I want you to know that that is not what God has primarily called us to do. He has not told us to go out and tell people, come to our church. And the reality is, if they come to our church and they're unregenerate, a lot of times they're going to be unimpressed. They're not going to be prone to stay necessarily. And, and that's not necessarily going to be the thing that is going to change their life. Now, again... I'm not 
opposed to people coming into the, into the assembly and hearing the gospel, and certainly God can and does work in people's lives in that way. I'm just saying to you that sometimes the extent of what people are doing is saying, come to church, come to church, come to church, come to church. Coming to church isn't going to solve people's problems. What they need is Christ. Let me challenge you with this thought. What about the people who won't come to church? What should we do with them? Should we say to them, well, if you won't come to church, then you can't hear the gospel? No. We are to take the, co- the gospel to them where they are. We are to introduce the gospel to them in the place where they live, in the place where, where they are. And, and by the way, if they get saved and they become followers of Jesus Christ, they will likely find the assembly to be a much more appealing place. I think too much of what's going on in Christianity today, I use that term very loosely, is accommodating unbelievers by making the assembly something that makes unsaved people comfortable. That's not what God has called us to do. God has not called us to accommodate to the world or to change and be like the world. He has called us to preach the gospel. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18? For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. How does God change people's lives? Through the preaching of of the cross, the preaching of the gospel. You see, Paul did not hesitate to present the claims of Christ. He did not hesitate to point out that Christ is the only Savior. He did not hesitate from the scriptures to demonstrate that Christ is the way of salvation. He was careful to preach the gospel. I believe that as God's people, we also must be careful to proclaim the gospel to those around us. Now, I think it's important for us to establish a basis of conversation. I think it's important for us to make sure the other person is listening. You understand what I'm saying? I've, I've watched people, and I've probably been guilty of it myself, sharing the gospel. You know, I saw a guy one time, and he had this guy that he was sharing the gospel to. The guy was up against a wall like this, and his eyes were going like this. How do I get out of here? And this guy had his Bible open, and I mean, he was, he was preaching. And, and I, I mean, I appreciate that man's zeal, and he loves souls. I, I, today, that man loves souls. He cares for men's souls. But, but what was going on at that moment? The man with his back against the wall was not hearing a word that was being said because he was planning his exit strategy. He was trying to figure out how to get out of there. So we do have to figure out how to get people's attention. We do have to figure out how to have a basis of conversation so that they will be willing to listen to the truth of the gospel. Um, To put it this way, are we preaching if they are not listening? And so we want to be careful that we're not guilty of just doing the monologue. Have you ever gone door-to-door visitation and hoped to get through your spiel? And uh, in, in some ways... You know, we have to be careful that we're not just doing like the Jehovah's Witnesses do. We're not there to get through a spiel. We're there to hopefully make a connection to the heart of that individual and make an appeal for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have to have some perception, but we also 
need to be careful not to step back and and we do tend to hesitate to preach the gospel because why? The gospel is offensive. The gospel tells men that they can't save themselves. The gospel tells men they need Jesus Christ and people don't always like to hear the gospel. To men it's foolishness. But it is the power of God unto salvation. You see, Paul turned the world upside down because he was faithful to preach, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, none of what we read in Acts 17 would have been possible without the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But we know that Paul was empowered by the Spirit of God and and God was working in those people in Thessalonica and ultimately many of those people got saved and there was a church established and their testimony went forward And all around the world, people talked about the testimony of those who had trusted in Christ at Thessalonica. But my question for you tonight is this. Do you believe that God can still work in that way today? Do you believe that God is still working in people's lives and the world around you? I do. I do. And I believe that God, because of all that the Scripture tells us in the New Testament, God is working diligently to bring us into the harvest fields, to bring us into contact with people who are seeking after God so that we might share with them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight, I want to ask you this question. Do you desire to be a world-changing Christian? Do you desire to be used of God in that way to see other people come to Christ, to see other people transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. My challenge for you tonight is if you want that, if you desire that, why not start asking God to do that work in and through you so that you might, like Paul, become a believer who could turn the world upside down.